This is the remix. Today we waived Damon Arnett. Very painful decision. We spent significant time, effort, and resources trying to help him in all facets of his life. There have been a series of bad decisions over the last year or so, but we can't stand, we cannot stand for the video of Damon with a gun threatening to take a life. The content was unacceptable. The bottom line, the Raiders will not tolerate this type of behavior. Well, I mean, Josh, I think I just went through the three years I've been, and um, I don't want to call it a blip. It's significant. Um, but I think in 19 and 21, we've done a heck of a job, both with football players and character, and we're going to continue to be consistent with that. Um, I've had several conversations with the owner. Um, I know how I feel in my heart of hearts, and um, it's, it's just as important to me that these guys are good people in this community as it is that they're good football players. I just crushed my dreams. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. The Raiders released Damon Arnett yesterday following a video of him threatening to kill someone while waving around multiple guns. So Damon Arnett becomes the second member of that 2020 draft class uh, to be released this year uh, following Henry Ruggs after his DUI car crash that took the life of Tina Tentor. Now, I do want to talk about the Raiders actually adding a player because we have not gotten to Deshaun Jackson uh, yet this week because the Raiders have been an unbelievable mess. Uh, but they are signing Deshaun Jackson. Reports are this morning it's going to be $1 million for the rest of the season. Deshaun Jackson was with the Rams this year. He had eight catches for 221 yards. What are they going to get out of Deshaun Jackson? Like what's left for Deshaun Jackson? He has not broken a thousand yards since 2016. He hasn't even broken 300 yards the last two years of his career. Like what is Deshaun Jackson going to be for the Raiders? I think the better question is what do the Raiders need Deshaun Jackson to be? Uh, they don't need him to be any more than a role player. This offense has been able to move the ball effectively. Even last week without Henry Ruggs, Derek Carr threw for nearly 300 yards. It just didn't have the same deep threat. So I think you look at it and say, if Deshaun Watson can be the kind of guy that Nelson Aguilar was for the Raiders last year, which is just a once or twice a game, take a deep shot to him, then that's great because he has that kind of speed, right? The one thing that hasn't changed with Deshaun Jackson is he can run by people. I I think that's going to be the interesting part is, is it simply just, hey, they have the deep threat again and defenses have to, you know, respect it and have to keep a safety over the top of Deshaun Jackson or does it force teams to play two deep safeties more often than they normally would if they didn't have Deshaun Jackson on the team. So that's what... I'd be curious to see, and if that is enough, if hitting him once or twice a game, 30-plus yards down the field, whatever it ends up being, is that enough to sort of keep the Raiders' offense going, keep the offense rolling like it has been for most of this season because it's been a very good offense. I think it does, it swings back to Darren Waller being like the true number one, and we saw week one, the ridiculous, like, 18 targets since then. He, you know, had decent games. Wasn't bad, but Darren Waller didn't really have big, productive games. Got hurt, had the bye week. Now he's back, 
and last week had his second best year in terms of yards, targets, and catches of the season. So I think that's where it sort of swings back. All right, Darren Waller is the out-and-out number one option. How successful is that when teams are taking that away? Because when teams were presumably taking that away earlier this year, Henry Ruggs had some big games. Brian Edwards had a couple of big moments. And is Deshaun Jackson enough to sort of fill in that role to say, okay, taking away Darren Waller from us, we've got to be able to hit somebody else. And it's got to be more than just Hunter Renfro four yards down the field and hope he makes two guys miss. The person you have to ask about this is Derek Carr, right? That's the question that has to go to Derek Carr before Greg Olson, before anybody else, because it's very clear as to what the Raiders need to win. If you go by Derek Carr's passing grades, if Derek Carr has had a passing grade over 76 this year, and he has had five of those, they've won. If he has had a passing grade below 70, they've lost. And so you need to be able to ask Derek Carr, what is it that you need out of Deshaun Jackson to make this work? Because you go and you look at the other stats for the Raiders, the pass blocking really hasn't been great up until the last couple of weeks. Actually, if you look at the Denver game and the Giants game, you mentioned it yesterday, Tyler, that they pass blocked really well and their run blocking has actually been really good by pro football focus the last two weeks against the Eagles and the Giants. So you feel like that somehow, some way, the line is at least cobbling itself together and it's all about what Derek Carr needs out of the rest of this offense. So I would almost guarantee you that Mike Mayock had a conversation with Derek Carr to say, is this a guy you think can help? Look at Tom Cable. Took him half a season, but he's getting this offensive line together. They're going to be competent now. Can't wait to give him all the credit. It's going to be great. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, I mean, look, the Raiders offensive line took a big punch to the jaw and they've come back. <laughs> Jared has been over here, like punching his own jaw. But for some reason, he wasn't ready to make the comment himself. I'm just glad someone did. <laughs> so what? OK, one specific aspect that I think Derek Carr did a lot better this year was effectively trusting his receivers on deep shots down the field because he there were a lot of times where he would put a ball up and Henry Ruggs or even Brian Edwards like they weren't necessarily wide open where Derek Carr stood in the pocket maybe took a hit stood under pressure whatever but he gave a guy a shot because hey there's one-on-one -on -one coverage and Brian Edwards can go make a play Henry Ruggs can go make a play that happened a handful of times throughout this season didn't happen last year. That wasn't something that Derek Carr was. I don't know if trust was the right word, but he wasn't doing that very much last season. I do wonder if he has to build that at all with Deshaun Jackson, or if there's a level of, okay, I was doing it before. Sure. It's a different guy that's running 20, 30 yards down the field, but Hey, I'm under pressure. They got one-on-one -on -one coverage with Deshaun Jackson. I'm giving him a shot to hopefully hit this big play. Some of that comes down to Greg Olson too, right? Like the, the shot has to be there in the first place for the Raiders to take because it part of it in past years was that he didn't really have someone that was going down there and doing that. So you, know, you look at the PFF big time throw stat, uh, Derek Carr still leads football even after a rough last week with 26 big time throws and you look at his average depth of target and it's pretty damn strong by what we expect from Derek Carr. He's 12th in the league with an 8.8 .8 yard average depth of target. So, you know, he's making big throws at longer distances than we're used to seeing out of him 
Uh, I think this is who Derek Carr is now. I, I really do think that Derek Carr is going to be willing, especially as teams bring pressure and he sees one-on-one matchups, to be able to take those shots. All right. I, I We need some predictions here on the receiving game. Let's see how well we can do this over the last half of the season. Right now, Hunter Renfro leads the team in touchdown catches with a massive three on the year. Uh, Ruggs, Waller, and Foster Moreau all have two, and then you got four guys with one touchdown catch this year. Who finishes the year with the most receiving touchdowns for the Raiders? Well, judging by the way that that the Raiders did things last week, you have to assume that it's going to be Hunter Renfro, I think. Um, because they did not show much of a vertical passing game last week. And if they continue to go that way, then Hunter Renfro is the guy that they're going to target in the red zone. It should be Darren Waller, because once you get in close, why are you not taking advantage of the matchup edge that you have with Darren Waller unless he's being double teamed? Uh, So beyond that, I don't know, Tyler, uh, if, if you felt like the Raiders were going to be really good, if they were going to be truly diverse, wouldn't you throw Kenyon Drake into that mix too? Yeah, you'd think so. But, you know, who's Kenyon Drake? That guy doesn't deserve any touches. Come on. He's the Joker. Yeah, he's the Joker. Uh, Hold he, on. That's a great idea. They pull a Rocky where, like, they they had the entire season, they called Kenyon Drake the Joker the entire offseason. The entire season, they don't use him. And then suddenly, with the last couple games, they switch. <laughs> they go, Kenyon Drake, Kenyon Drake, Kenyon Drake. <laughs> Uh, he has one touchdown catch on the year. Does have 24 catches. Uh, I think Hunter Renfro is the right answer. So Darren Waller, he did lead this team in touchdown catches uh, last season. I think at nine was the total number he got. But it's still like, it does feel like they don't use him in the red zone as much as you would think you'd use Darren Waller in the red zone, right? Like that's totally anecdotal on my part, but it, it just feels like Darren Waller doesn't get nearly the red zone targets he should. I do think it gets easier to try to take away Darren Waller the closer you get to the end zone just because he can't use his athleticism to run by people in the same way. But ultimately, you would think that if Greg Olson were doing his job at full effectiveness, that you would be scheming Darren Waller open a little bit more. Again, I don't want to get too far down on that because of the fact that it's so difficult to... Uh, be able to get him away from a double team. If if the team decides they're going to take your tight end away, they're probably going to take your tight end away. All right. Uh, Rest of the season. So the current yardage totals don't count towards this rest of the season. Does Deshaun Jackson have more receiving yards than Hunter Renfro? No, 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 no. Because they're not going to hit him enough. Okay. Even though it might take take 10 Renfro catches to make up two uh, Deshaun Jackson catches. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that's that's the way they use them, right? So uh, I, I did go get the stats on this because I wanted to make sure I had uh, had the right numbers here for you in terms of red zone targets on the year for tight ends. Uh, let me see if I have this fully correct here. I fully Looks expect like... Foster Moreau to have more than Darren Waller. <laughs> no, uh, so for this, uh, for 2021-22, Darren Waller among tight ends has 12 red zone targets. That's behind only Tyler Higby of the Rams. Third is Kyle Pitts of the Falcons and then Hunter Henry after that. So they throw, yeah, I mean, they throw to him a lot. It's just, I don't know. It's it's just, it is, I don't know, weird to see Darren Waller has two touchdown catches this year when you think 
he'd have a lot more than that, or you'd think he'd be used a lot more. But yeah, if he's got the second most among tight ends, that's that's probably fair. Hell, he's got more than Travis Kelsey, well, huh? Here, here's the problem. Uh, Travis Kelsey has seven, by the way. Same as Pat Fryermuth, Dawson Knox, <laughs> and Cam Brait. Uh, here's the problem, though. He's been targeted 12 times. He's <sighs> caught five of them. Yeah. So if you go by catch percentage, uh, he is at 41%, which does not exactly put him near the top of the list. Yeah, well, he could have had one more, and it would have been a touchdown at the end of the first half last week. But uh, Derek Carr missed him by about 15 yards. Coming up next, it's Bischoff's Briefs. Bischoff's Briefs. Son, I didn't understand a word you just said. Bischoff's Briefs. Hey, thanks. That is not a compliment. Ah, I disagree. Bischoff's Briefs. Okay, well, that was just a list of complete nonsense, but you're not totally wrong. Bischoff's Briefs. Coming up later this hour, we're going to have tickets to give away to go see the Black Crows going to talk to Mike Ramallah in about 10 minutes as well. But Bischoff's briefs today zeroes in on Rich Bisaccia because Rich Bisaccia got extremely conservative on Sunday. The Raiders kicked multiple field goals under 30 yards when it was fourth and shorter. One was fourth and six, fourth and medium. But basically, Rich Bisaccia took his offense off the field, tried to play it safe. Uh, team ended up losing. So using the phrase playing it safe might not even be that accurate, especially when we have ways to measure this. There are a few places you can go to get win probability based on fourth down decisions. Basically, how much does kicking a field goal or punting or going for it impact the team's chances of winning? Now, first off, going for it is not always the right answer. For example, Ben Baldwin, his uh, fourth down bot, actually gave the Raiders a plus 2.6% win probability improvement uh, when they kicked the first short field goal. That one happened on fourth and goal from the six. Also, it was a plus to the win probability for the Raiders to kick the field goal at the end of the first half on fourth and three from the Giants' 14-yard line. I do imagine if that had been in the middle of a quarter, not at the end of a half, that might have had a different uh, win probability attached to it. Uh, plus, Rich Versace also does get some credit on fourth and one. They went for it, the play where Marcus Mariota ran the option. That was one of the biggest swings of the game in terms of win probability. It added over 7% to the Raiders' win probability there. But Rich Versace had two second-half field goal decisions that hurt the Raiders' chance to win. And both actually, surprisingly, were the same exact scenario. Fourth and three from the New York Giants' seven-yard line. The first one cost the Raiders 4.5% in win probability. The second one cost the Raiders 5.6% in win probability. That comes out, those two decisions hurt the Raiders 10.1%. Those two decisions by Rich Bisaccia made the Raiders 10% less likely to win the game. Also, thanks to Josh Dubow, we now know this was the first time since at least 2000. Apparently, the data doesn't go back beyond that. But the first time since at least 2000, that a team kicked two second-half field goals from inside the 10-yard line when losing by four to six points. So that is as conservative as it gets, so conservative that we may have never seen that in the history of this sport. 
That's not good enough, even from an interim head coach, even though Rich Passaccia was a special teams coordinator like four weeks ago, didn't know how to work his headset. It's not good enough because one of the reasons I think we can harp on fourth down decisions so much is it, it doesn't require anything on the field to happen. Like, yes, you need to convert the fourth downs for it to work, but like we're talking about the decisions. We're not talking about the outcome of the play. We're not talking about the outcome of the fourth down. If you go forward to the outcome of the punt, if you know, a guy fumbles the punt, like we've seen a couple of times uh, over the last three days of football, this, these are, these are just decisions, right? This doesn't require a great play by your quarterback. It doesn't require your quarterback making a read. It doesn't require a, a defensive player making a mistake. This is just simply decision-making that helps or hurts your team's chance to win. And Rich Passaccia, he hurt the Raiders' chance of winning, right? And again, he's an interim head coach. Maybe you could give him a break. But then yesterday, he got asked about the last field goal he decided to kick. Down four, last 10 minutes of the fourth quarter. And Rich Passaccia said he never considered going for it because he wanted the points. Two massive problems there. To never consider going for it is pretty absurd. Like, it'd be one thing if he came in and said something like, oh, the offense was struggling in short yardage. Or if it was like, oh, somebody was injured and we didn't feel comfortable running a certain play, right? Whatever. Still probably bad excuses. But at least I think you could maybe buy those or or get the logic a little bit. But for Rich Passaccia to say, He didn't consider it. He didn't consider a decision that would have given his team a better chance to win the game. That's brutal. The other part of that quote is that he wanted the points. And I am amazed how many football coaches make decisions with logic that is not simply, we wanted to win the game. Because him wanting the points is another way of saying uh, we wanted to keep the scoreboard nicer or we wanted to prolong losing or we wanted to avoid criticism, which I think is what a lot of these decisions come down to. Coaches are not making fourth down decisions to try to win a game. They are making the decision to try to prolong losing, right? A lot of the, a lot of times, this wasn't the case in Rich Passaccia's fourth down decisions because there was still time left in the game. But a lot of times these fourth down decisions, like the thought process is if you don't get it, the game is effectively over right then. But if you punt, hey, maybe you can get a defensive stop and have another chance. Or if you kick the field goal, hey, maybe you get a defensive stop and you have another chance. You're effectively prolonging losing because if you make the fourth down decision to go for it, you don't get it. You lose the game and that's it. That was the last chance. Even if your team's in a better situation to potentially win the game, it still comes back to, well, you didn't get that fourth down and that's why you lost the game. When in reality going forward, a lot of these times is the better chance, but coaches over and over are picking to prolong losing rather than trying to win. And Rich Passaccia is certainly not the only one that makes these types of decisions. He is not the only one that plays it you know, conservatively and kicks field goals when he should be going for it and has this idea of we wanted the points or we didn't want to lose the game on that specific play. We've gotten better. I think this year we're still at a rate where teams are going forward on fourth down more than they ever have before. So it's certainly changing and evolving. Maybe we should give Brandon Staley all of the credit for that. But... Rich Passaccia hurt the Raiders' chance to win on Sunday against the Giants, and for him to say he didn't even consider it 
to me is a pretty big strike against his chance at actually being the Raiders head coach at any point beyond the season, because that to me would be a big red flag and saying, wait a minute, you didn't even consider going for it, let alone that you didn't go for it. You didn't even think about it. That's not good enough for a guy that's a head coach or an interim head coach. No, and you, I'm going to start by saying you don't expect him to know that. That is something in which Rich Passaccia was thrown into this role in turmoil, and if he doesn't understand the long-term win percentage added of going forward on fourth down, then you get it. He's a guy who comes from special teams, and if you come from special teams, you probably believe that special teams are far less fallible than they are because Daniel Carlson went out there and hooked a 20-something-yard field goal, as you mentioned. So taking the points is only A, as good as actually getting those points, and B, it's only as good as your team's ability to convert fourth downs, which is a much, much higher percentage than it is for how often that field goal is going to help you win. And I know that probably sounds wordy and wonky, and I don't think it's the best way I've ever described anything. (laughs) But in the end, these whole things of win probability that is added by going for it on fourth downs, by going for it in the red zone on fourth down, is about making that decision consistently over the long term. And there are going to be times where you get hurt by it. Brandon Staley, who you just mentioned, the Chargers, in their game against the Ravens where they got blown out, they went for it twice on fourth down deep in their own territory, didn't get it when they had been getting them all season long, and it came back to bite them and they lost the game. But over the long haul, these are choices that are going to help you win games if you choose it as a philosophy and do it. Right, and that's sort of the key. We we see that like in basketball when it comes to teams or players not shooting the mid-range jumper. Sure, you'll make some, and there might be small sample sizes where, look, the mid-range jumper is a big reason why a team won a game. But over the course of a regular season, over the course of a career, you're going to be much better off taking the threes and the layups and avoiding those mid-range jumpers. Like We see this in a lot of sports, and it is about doing it over and over and over. And yes, it'll blow up in your face. Yes, you'll get blown out by the Ravens. Yes, you won't. You'll have a game where you go for it four times on fourth and short, and you might not get all four of them, and it might lead to, you know, four touchdowns for the other team or something like that. But more than likely, you'll have a game where you might convert all four of those on the other end, and it's the reason you end up winning a game you shouldn't have won or blow out a team you shouldn't have blown out, something along those lines. But it is something that you do have to basically commit to, and that is, you know, what Brandon Staley's doing with the Chargers and when it comes to the Raiders next head coach I hope that's the type of coach they hire I hope they hire the guy that is willing to go for it on fourth and two from his own 38 yard line or something like that because they are looking at it saying this gives us a better chance to win than punting the ball away giving it back to the other team all right coming up next I'm very excited for this Mike Ramallah is going to join the show and of all of the food takes and food opinions and weird things he has or has not done with food. He might have done the best thing he's ever done last week when he went to Buffalo. He's never seen a steak that is too gray. He once ate half a box of Cheez-Its for lunch and finished off the other half for dinner. He has eaten exactly one taco in his life. He is... Mike Grillmala. Have tacos changed that much since I tried one? Mike Grillmala joins us from the Las Vegas Sun. Uh, Mike, before we get into any UNLV football or basketball, 
Can you please take us through your trip last week and your dining experience? Yeah, I think you can probably change that um, that intro to uh, Mike Gravala has tried one chicken wing <laughs> in his life. Because I tried a chicken wing for the first time last week, and I don't think I'll be back. I don't think I'm a repeat customer on that one. Okay. Um, Before we get to the actual review of you eating a chicken wing, how how did you do this? How did you at where did you go to uh, have your first yeah. chicken wing? Okay, so uh, to to go to the very beginning, um, I had an airline voucher for a few hundred dollars that had to be used in like it had to be used and applied by a certain date, which was coming up very soon. So I had. Um, you know, a, a couple of days off that from work before that trip for UNLV football to Albuquerque. So I, you know, I was thinking about like what can I do to just burn this voucher, and I put it out on Twitter. I got some good suggestions. I figured let me try something that I've never eaten before, and then you know that would be something interesting and exciting to do with it. And then from there, I was like, well, what regions are connected to food? Like what foods are specific to certain regions? And I settled on you know, a buffalo chicken wing because, you know, I've never had a chicken wing. I said, who does it better than Buffalo, New York? So I booked a trip out there, and, you know, it was fine. You know, Buffalo is a fine town. It's a small city. They're crazy about the bills. Um, the weather was nice, and I, I did the chicken wing. I got it you know, buffalo style. I did the sauce and everything, and I just didn't like it. But where, what restaurant did you go to in Buffalo? A Buffalo Wild Wings, of course. <laughs> oh, for the love of Jesus H. Christ, you've got to be kidding me. The signature, what place, what place is more, like, that's their signature dish is the Buffalo Chicken Wing. They've built an empire on that. So who better to represent that food in that region than Buffalo Wild Wings? So I went there, and like I said, I ordered the straight Buffalo Wings. I tried it. It, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't for me. Hold on a second. So you flew to Buffalo, the home I of did. the Anchor Bar, the home of the home I of chicken. I, did I you walked go past it a few times? <laughs> you walked, walked past, past the, the home of the I chicken. I walked past wing. Anchor Bar a few times. Never went in. No, I did not go inside. Was it on the okay. agenda? Okay. And and what do you think? What did you think? Um, have you been inside of Buffalo Wild Wings in other cities? I have uh, a couple times, but I've never had the wings. Okay. How did this particular restaurant, how did this particular Buffalo Wild Wings restaurant compare to the others that you've been to? Uh, It looked about the same. I mean, it's exactly because it is the same same. everywhere. Yeah. And they were, uh, you know, but it was, it was fine. It was nice. Uh, Trump service. Like I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, I tried it. That's all I can say. I gave it. I gave it my all. Like I put. I, I really gave the wings a chance. Uh, I just didn't like it. <laughs> okay, uh, you like chicken. Why did you not like the chicken wing? I'm very curious. Is it was it just sauce? You don't like sauce? Well, when it came out, I thought I was going to like it when I looked at it because it didn't look that bad. And usually that turns me off. You know, seeing any kind of food, I usually don't like it. But this one, I was like, oh, this could actually be good. And I bit into it, and I thought it was going to be, like, tender, and, like, the chicken was going to be, like, you know, 
good, but I really had to gnaw at it to like rip it off the bone. And I really had to chew and chew and chew. And then, as you said, the sauce. I don't like sauces. I don't like <laughs> stuff that is added on. Um, and really all I could taste was the sauce. So it was like I was chewing that sauce for an extended period of time. And after I finished the first wing or half of the first wing, I just I was like, okay, I've had enough. So you, wait, you really many, only had one? How many wings did you order? I ordered uh, the kids' buffalo wings <laughs> off the kids' menu for 12 and under. And it came out with, I believe, two chicken wings, <laughs> some carrots, some celery, and like a dipping sauce, which I believe was blue cheese. I didn't use that. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I did try the wing. But, no, it, it, it was too much sauce, which I didn't like the taste of it, and too much, too much work to get through the chicken. Did you get any looks from people when you walked into a Buffalo Wild Wings and ordered the kids' meal? I was the I was the only one in there, <laughs> if you can believe that. I yes. went, you know, yes, at a at a Buffalo Wild Wings in Buffalo. I was the only one there. <laughs> what what did what else did you do in Buffalo? Uh, I enjoyed the city. I took pictures. I walked around downtown. Um, I had dinner, you know, just like normal touristy stuff. What what else did you eat when you were in Buffalo? Oh, I had first night I had garlic bread and mozzarella sticks. The second night, what did I, I trying to think? I had the chicken wings for lunch and then I had uh, more garlic bread. (laughs) And I think that's that's probably it. Uh, there was there was like a, a also like a pasta dish that I was sort of uh, picking at, but yeah, that was, that was pretty much it. It was really all about the wings. <laughs> Single wing, wing, single the wing. Yeah, it was all about you the can't, wings. You can't say wings. <laughs> okay, Mike. Uh, what was worse, your chicken wing experience or New Mexico football? Oh man, that's two things I hope to never experience again. Uh, New Mexico is really bad. I, I mean, I hadn't seen them play this year. Um, I was basically, you know, just reading the stat sheets and the analytics and kind of judging them by that way. But until I saw them up close in person, I just didn't know. Of course, UNLV should have been favored in that game. They're way better than New Mexico. Um, and you saw them beat that New Mexico team by two touchdowns. Uh, I would probably, but I would, I would watch New Mexico again before I would go back to the chicken wings. <laughs> Does UNLV have a second win coming up against Hawaii? I don't I don't know. It's hard for me to imagine another opponent being New Mexico caliber in these final three games. Like I know Hawaii is probably mediocre, not a world beater, but they are not as bad as New Mexico. Uh Air Force definitely not as bad as New Mexico. San Diego State on the opposite end of the spectrum. I I uh, I don't. It would be nice for UNLV to get some, you know, they got the monkey off their back with that that first win. A second win, you've got some momentum going into the off season. Then you can say, hey, we won two games in the last month where we had two and two down the stretch or whatever. It would be great, but I don't think that uh, is in the cards for them. You got any hot Ooh. takes for UNLV what? basketball? Yeah. Uh. You know, I, I do think they're going to be 3-0 after this first week of play. They get these three home games uh, in the first week to 
kick it off Gardner Webb and then uh, Cal, and I, I think they'll be three and zero at this time next week. We'll know a lot more about them, but uh, I think they're gonna I think they're gonna be better than some people expect. I don't know if that's such a hot take. <laughs> they're gonna be better than people expect. Uh, what, who the hell's starting for this team tomorrow? For basketball, I would say you know Bryce Hamilton, Mike Nuga are locks. I think Royce Ham is probably a lock to start. Um, I think Jordan McCabe is probably going to be your point guard. That other forward spot, I think Victor Iwakor has looked the best in the, the time we the time we've been able to see them practice. Um, I think that's probably your starting five. I, I think they are going to substitute freely. I think there were times when we saw T.J. Opsenberger like rein in his rotation. We saw him a lot of times go seven men, eight men, and really ride his his tight rotation. I think you're going to see the opposite from Kruger. I think they're going to play a lot of guys, a lot of minutes, and just sort of shuttle them in and out. So it'll be a season-long process to, to see who ends up being like the, the key guys. Are you guys okay? I no, feel like I threw you no, for a loop. No, 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 no. okay. <laughs> not, not at all. Um, all right, let, let, we, let, let's just get back to this because I, I have too many questions. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, all right. Um, w- why did you want to go to a Buffalo Wild Wings in Buffalo as opposed to a Buffalo Wild Wings in Las Vegas? Because Buffalo is like that's where the chicken wing was invented <laughs> and developed and put out into the world. So it's like if you're going to travel you know, in like Anthony Bourdain style, you want to, if you're going to try the cuisine, you need to go to the roots. You know what I'm saying? Do you know where, do you know where Buffalo Wild Wings is headquartered? I don't know that. Buffalo Wild Wings is headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia. But their signature So I guess if you wanted to know what's was, really at the heart signature- of them, you should have gone to Georgia. No, but, I, the, but the chicken wing itself, that's a Buffalo thing. Like that's the city that, Thank you. It, yes, and that's true. So it's 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 about the the whole culture. It's about like walking the streets. It's about you know seeing the city. It's about meeting the people. None of which I did, but it's about like being there and experiencing the food as part of that culture. I feel like as a food. You you do not you get the words Anthony Bourdain out of your one chicken wing mouth. <laughs> like that that is that is beyond the pale, Mike Gramala. I don't think I can handle that. I, it's it's about boots on the ground. It's about being there. It's about experiencing it. You know. Do and I recommend everyone to do it. If you get a chance, go to Buffalo meals and try mouth. the wings there. Do you think your experience would have been any better uh, if you had gone to not Buffalo Wild Wings for a, a Buffalo chicken wing? I don't see how it could have been, um, but. I, I guess we'll never know because that I'm I'm out on the chicken wing. Um, it's very popular. I'll leave that to other people. I'll stick to what I know, what I do. I'm richer. I believe I'm richer for having had the experience and doing it. Like I feel like I am more cultured. I feel like a more fully realized person and a more fully realized eater. And I'm proud of myself for going out of my comfort zone and trying the wing. But. Um, no, I don't. I don't think the the restaurant made you know much of a difference. I think I, I made the right choice, uh, and it just didn't work out in the end. But I'm still glad <laughs> that I did it. But wait, did you did, did you have a flat or did you have a drum? What is the difference? Oh boy! Oh god! <laughs> okay, so one of them is an, is actually kind of flat, and one of them looks like a little drumstick, like like 
You know what I mean? Like a little handle yeah, yeah, yeah. and then like, a yeah, bulbous I I, end. I believe it was a flat. I don't. I didn't pick up one that looked like a you know the stereotypical like chicken like drumstick emoji. Like I, it was. It looked like something else. So I, I guess it, would pro- it was probably a flat. Were there two bones? Like two skinny bones? That's a good yeah, question. I, yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. I, I think so. Okay. All right. That, you think so? All right. What well, did you eat? I didn't one actually, of the bones. I didn't actually get to here? the bone. Like I was chewing the. You know, I, I bit into the a chicken. Bone. I didn't actually get to bone. I didn't actually reach bone. So when you say you tried a chicken wing, you tried chicken skin. You did not try a chicken wing. I did. I I like I said I ate about half of it. It's probably like two bites or two nibbles. And it just took me so long to get through them that I was like, okay, I've, I've got the gist of it. I didn't feel like it was necessary to continue, like, stripping it down to the bone. Like, should I have done that? Yes! <sighs> He's Mike Kravala from the Las Vegas Sun. Never change, Mike. Never change. Thanks, guys. <laughs> we, we need to send him to Nashville to get Nashville hot chicken at KFC. <laughs> Guys, he walked by the anchor bar <laughs> multiple times and didn't go in. It's not as though he didn't know about it. He walked by it and never went in. Yeah. He, he, after flying five hours to Buffalo. He had a reservation at Buffalo Wild Wings. He couldn't miss it. You didn't need a reservation at Buffalo Wild Wings. He was the only person there. And the kitchen probably could have handled his two-wing order even if they were busy. What is, what is this the equivalent to? Adam, like going, the, going to the, Philly and going like, I went to Subway to get me a cheesesteak. I don't know where to even begin. You, like, I don't know. You go, you go get a crab cake at Long John Silver in Baltimore? Like, I, I don't. I, I, oh, my God. That, that is an amazing story. I've heard a lot of Mike Gramala stories. And Tyler, I thought maybe you were overselling it at the beginning of the segment. But no, no, that. That is that is stupefying. <laughs> All right. We have two tickets to go see the Black Crows next Thursday, November 18th at the House of Blues. You can buy tickets at Ticketmaster.com or win a pair right now. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. We will take caller number six at 702 702- Three six four eleven hundred. You win a pair of tickets to go see the Black Crows next week at House of Blues. Knicks by nine, one hundred ninety-one. Tennis shoot, and a fan threw a red ball that they shot into the crowd during a timeout onto the court near Walker. And the officials blow it dead. And you hope that that does not continue here with eighty seconds left. You're locked in the press box. Hey, the Knicks beat the 76ers yesterday. And as you just heard there, 76ers fan threw a red ball onto the court. I will. I must say, though, if you're playing a game in Philadelphia and all they do is throw a little red plush ball onto the court, I feel like you're the winner. Like you walk out of that thinking, yep, that's about as good as it's going to get playing in Philadelphia. Yeah, by the way, the Knicks didn't beat the... Philadelphia 76ers. Well, they be, yeah. beat the zombie ghost of the Sixers with no Joel Embiid or Tobias Harris, but sure. <laughs> I think uh, I, somebody tweeted out a pie chart of uh, salary the Sixers are playing and how much of it was actually available for last <laughs> night's game, and it was like 18%. Yeah, I mean, basically, this was like Danny Green against the New York Knicks, which was never going to work out all that well for the Sixers. Ah, Danny Green. Gotta love Danny Green. Uh, Sixers 
I mean, excuse me, not the Sixers. Knicks, what, are they, they going to be good this year? You going to get expectations about a 4-5 first-round playoff matchup again? I don't know if they're going to be good this year. I mean, they, they go and do things well, and then they come home and lose to Cleveland. So, you know, uh, right now I don't think that team has figured out exactly who it is or what it's going to be. But um, then again, the Sixers aren't what they were, and I guess in the East it, everyone's chasing the Nets anyway. I was going to say, has anybody in the East figured out what they are yet? Like it feels like – well. I mean- the only thing that we know for sure in the East is that Kyrie Irving is a flat earther anti-vaxxer. <laughs> like, that's for sure. We know that. And we know that, that means the Nets aren't what we thought they would be. Yeah, it's a strange conference. Strange conference where, I don't know, are the Bulls actually good? They're, I think they're tied for second right now. Bulls might actually be good uh, in the East. Um, you know what is fun to watch? Even though LeBron's not there, the Lakers continuously blowing leads because they did it again last night where they blew a 14-point lead. They ended up winning in overtime, but God, that team is brutal to watch. Like Russell Westbrook. No, like that's not, that's uh, that team's brutal. Like I know we talked about it earlier and you said, uh, yeah, them being an actual top of the West contender is not really where you thought they were regular or before the season. I thought they were like, I guess they'll get better when Westbrook uh, plays more with this team and figures out how to play with this team. But that, that team's not good. I mean, right now, if you're looking at the Lakers, you have to ask yourself, how healthy is LeBron going to be? Uh, and then you have to say, is this thing with, I almost said Rondo, but Westbrook, <laughs> that's a Freudian slip, uh, going to work out? Uh, it it really doesn't look great here at the beginning. And I mean, again, it's way too early in the season after 11 games to judge this whole thing, especially when you're playing some of them without LeBron. But the early returns are discouraging. Okay, wait. If you saw this, we have one more ref take from you before the show ends. Did you see Rondo's ejection yesterday? I did not. Oh, man. He got to flagrant two. He was attempting to block a shot and hit the guy on top of the head with, like, his elbow. And they gave him a flagrant two and ejected him. So, Rajon Rondo thrown out for hitting a guy in the head, even though it looked, to me anyways... It looked enough like a basketball play that it shouldn't have been flagrant to ejection. Like it wasn't like he was clearly headhunting there. But Adam, do you think it was a flagrant one? Uh, what's the exact rule? I don't know what the exact difference between the two is. But Adam Candy, say goodbye to me. I'm leaving you. Our resident referee. Thank you, Adam. It's been a good six shows where I made a terrible decision and Ed Graney disappeared to New York. Ed's back tomorrow. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate it.